Good morning. It's great to be worshiping with all of you in the Lord. Open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 37, 1 through 5. Psalm 37, 1 through 5, where I've entitled this message, Battling Envy with Faith. I want us to examine what envy is, what it does to us, how it affects us, and then I want to look at the solution, the cure, the remedy of envy. So let's read Psalm 37, 1-5, which says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. As we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise You. We honor You. Father, we thank You that we can come together as the body of Christ in corporate worship. Sing songs to you, Father. Fellowship with one another. And hear your word, Father. We ask that you reach our hearts with your word. Penetrate our hearts this morning by the power of your spirit. As we look into your word. As we gaze into your word. Help this just the beginning of our week. Help us to be doing this through the week. Spending time meditating on your word. As we would Meditate on your truths, Father. We thank you for all the blessings you've given us. It's Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 37, 1 says this. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. The word here for fret literally means heated or worked up. In other words, don't get all bent out of shape by those of the world. Don't worry about those who are wicked. Don't have them be your focus. The question is, why would a believer get worked up over someone who doesn't even know the Lord? Why would they be focused on them in the first place? Well, let's read the rest of verse 1. The whole thing says, though, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So David says, don't get focused on the wicked and envy them. Don't envy the wicked. But what does it actually mean to envy somebody. What does it mean to envy the wicked? Is it envious to look up to others? Is it envious to be inspired by others? Is it envious to be motivated by others? Is it envious to follow other people's example? Well, Scripture tells us that we should follow godly examples, that we should desire to be godly like others. Paul says in Philippians 3.17, when he says this, brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So we're encouraged to follow others, emulate someone who is mature in their walk with Christ. In past sermons, we've also talked about the fact that it's important for us to have godly heroes. We would do ourselves well to study those in church history like Charles Spurgeon, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, John Knox, John Wesley, etc. Take notes and learn from these spiritual giants of the past. 
Not only that, but we've talked about also that we should pass on these heroes of the faith to our children so they have godly examples to look up to as well. This is not envy, church. This is what you would call wisdom. So the question is then, what is envy? How could we define envy? I mean, how would you describe someone who's envious? Well, I've been doing some study on this and some research, and I've came up with this definition of envy, which is point number one. Envy is a strong desire of wanting what someone else has and is jealous and resentful towards that person, which is ultimately being frustrated with God. Let me repeat that because it's somewhat long. Envy is a strong desire of wanting what someone else has and is jealous and resentful towards that person, which is ultimately being frustrated at God. This definition of envy shows the depth of envy, the real issue, the root problem of envy. We go from wanting what someone else has. This could be their wealth, their health, their power, their prestige, their talents, their gifts, their abilities, to being resentful and jealous towards that person for those gifts and abilities. But ultimately, it reveals that we have a real problem with God. Let me give you an example from my own life of what envy is and what envy is not. Well, growing up, I always enjoyed playing and watching basketball. And there was this one guy in particular who I thoroughly liked to watch. He was a little guy. I mean, he was a real little guy. He was like my height. I mean, he was five foot seven playing professional basketball. That's pretty surprising. His name was Spud Webb. I'm sure some of you know who he is. He had some ups. He had some hops. He had some springs in his legs. Some of you are thinking, what is this guy talking about? It's 10 in the morning, hops, springs in his legs. Okay, I know some of you aren't sure what I'm talking about, but I'm just saying that God gave Spud Webb amazing jumping abilities. He could dunk backwards. He could dunk forwards. He could do 360 dunks. He was fun to watch. And I have a quick picture of him. Dunking in the 1986 slam dunk contest, which he ended up winning against Dominique Wilkins, his teammate, which is pretty impressive because Dominique Wilkins didn't even know his teammate could dunk. And then he won the whole dunk contest. But I'm going off on a tangent that has nothing to do with the sermon. So, so from watching him, he motivated me to work on my own jumping abilities. So I admired his abilities that God gave him, and I enjoyed watching him. But I will tell you, church, this is not envy, though. But let's say this. Instead of admiring his abilities, I envied him, which meant this. I would probably have watched Spud Webb, and instead of enjoying it, I would have became jealous of him because it reminded me of what I lacked, what I didn't have. And then I would have probably gotten upset with God because God didn't give me the same abilities that he gave Spud Webb. This would have been envy rising up within my own heart. So another question is, what does it look like to see envy being played out in our daily life? What does it look like when we have envy in our hearts? 
maybe you're a single person and you watch your best friend get married and now you're a little resentful towards him or her inwardly. You wonder why God hasn't sent you a spouse yet. Or maybe you're, you have children and you see your friend's children and they're about the same ages and you watch your friend's children and they seem like little angels while yours, well, we may describe them more like little monsters. So deep down, you hope that your friend's children will become the little monsters and your children will become the little angels. Maybe you're married and you look at your friend's marriages and you envy them. You wish you had such a caring and loving spouse like it seems they have. And it's frustrating. You begin to become jealous towards your friends because you feel like their marriage is so good. And it reminds you of your failed marriage. Or maybe, maybe you're a teenager and you play sports and you always are second string because the person above you on first string is always better, that, better than you at everything he does or she does. And you hope he or she gets injured or maybe move to another country <laughs> because you're tired of being second string, playing second fiddle to them. Or maybe you struggle with your looks or fashion. And there is that one person who always looks better and dresses better than you. And you secretly harbor bitterness towards them. Are we struggling with envy this morning? Do we see that this is a real issue in many of our lives? Envy is a universal problem. It's a human condition problem. Envy says, I'm missing something. Envy says, I can't be happy unless blank is filled in. Envy says, I look at others with jealousy and covetousness. Envy says, I look to this world for my contentment. Envy says, I look to this world for my fulfillment and my satisfaction. But you may be thinking, okay, envy hurts us. It seems like it's an unhealthy problem. I got that. And that we sometimes fall into it. But biblically, it can't be that bad, can it? I mean, it's not like murder, is it? Or it's not like adultery or even lying, right? Well, let's see what the scriptures say. Turn with me to James 3, verses 13 through 16. James 3, verses 13 through 16. James says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James says envy is a serious problem. James says envy is selfish. It's unspiritual. It's demonic, worldly, sinful. Which leads to point number two. Envy is a dangerous mix of resentment Selfishness and pride found in the heart. 
Let me say that again. Envy is a dangerous mix of resentment, selfishness, and pride found in the heart. Envy was part of Satan's downfall. He wanted to be God. His pride, his jealousy, his envy caused him to rebel against God. Envy turns us inward. We become resentful towards others, and we can ultimately, like Satan, become so embittered and prideful that we get angry at God. And we, instead of worshiping God, decide we want to be our own God. We start thinking, God, why are the wicked around me being blessed? And yet, I don't have the comforts and the luxuries that they have. Or God, why is my neighbor being blessed with grandchildren? And yet, I don't have any yet. Or God, why is my marriage so dysfunctional and the atheist couple down the road seems so happy? Which leads to part, point number three. Envy shrinks our view of God. Envy shrinks our view of God. We begin to question God's goodness. We begin to question his truthfulness. We begin to question his wisdom. And we become the judge and the jury to agree or disagree with his holy and perfect decisions. And I must say, we live in a Christian culture that thinks it's good, it's right to question God with the intent of putting him on trial. We hear that we are being real, that we are being just authentic with God when we question him this way. We hear people say, God is a big boy. He can handle all our questions. The problem is, we're not the judge of God, number one. And we should not humanize God and put, bring him down to our level. He is not a, our big boy. He is not a little buddy. He is a sovereign creator of the universe. And we need to have a healthy, holy fear and awe of him. Instead of this brazen attitude that he is no different than us. But I will say, I will say obviously, we will naturally question things that happen to us. We will ask God why when we lose a child, when we lose the job we loved. We will question God when we come down with a life-debilitating disease. We will naturally wonder why, God, why? But the questions should never take the form of putting God's goodness, God's perfectness, His perfect ways on trial by His creation. That's absurd. The Lord says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts. The Creator is not judged by creation. That's just the facts. God is beyond us. He has all knowledge. He has all power. He is holy. He's eternal. He's unchanging. And we, on the other hand, we struggle, struggle and fumble just to make it every day. We have limited knowledge. We struggle just to love people correctly and think the right way of other people. And yet we're going to judge God? We struggle just to love Him. I'm afraid many times we think too high of ourselves and think too little of God. How do we look at God? Do we trust him? 
Do we see his love? Do we see God's goodness? Do we see his righteousness that shines like the noonday, the Psalms say? Well, let's go back to Psalms 37. And we're going to be in verse 2, but I'll read through verse 1 again. And David says this. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Verse 2, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So David says, don't envy the wicked because they'll fade like the grass. Their wealth, their talents, their abilities, their gifts, their power will be here today and gone tomorrow. Don't waste your time being consumed by the wicked's supposed blessings. They only have it for a short time. We should, if anything, be saddened for them, pity them, and do whatever we can to help them, to point them to God, to Christ. Is there anybody that we envy this morning? Maybe it's because it's something they have. Maybe they have a really nice house. Or maybe they have a really nice car. And on Marco Island, maybe they have a really nice yacht. Right? David says, what they have is here only for a second and is gone. We need to help them instead of envy them. So the question is then, what is the antidote? What is the cure? What is the remedy? What is the solution to the problem of envy? Well, let's read on in verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So antidote number one to envy is turn upward instead of inward. Antidote number one to envy is turn upward instead of inward. David says to trust in the Lord, have faith in God. We turn from faith in ourselves and faith in others, and we turn to having living, active faith in Christ. The ESV says to befriend faithfulness. Let faith be your companion. Let faith be your closest associate. Let faith be your best friend. So we depend. We lean. We rely on Christ. Hebrews 12 also tells us that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, right? That means that Christ gives us the faith that we have. It isn't something that we can whip up within ourselves. He is the, also, though, he's the beginning of our faith, but he also says that he is the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who is developing and maturing us in faith as well, Hebrews tells us. So Christ gets the glory for the work he begins and he ends in us. But as faith builds us up in the Lord, I must say envy destroys it places us back under the bondage that we now have freedom in, in Christ. When we envy others, we are in essence comparing ourselves to others. We want, we think we need what someone else has, and we begin to resent them. We see them through the eyes of what we're lacking. We look at them, but really, when we're envious, we are focused on others for selfish reasons. We glance at others because we desire what they have. We covet their gifts. We think we can't be happy unless we get the house that person has. Or maybe we see our good friend get a promotion that we wished 
we had. Worse yet than that, though, we end up becoming blind to the gifts God has blessed and poured out on us as well. We become ungrateful towards him. And we look to only what we feel like we're missing. But church, faith is the answer to envy. It is the antidote to being jealous of others. We can't love God and others when we are full of envy. Jesus said in Mark 12, 30 and 31, Mark 12, 30 and 31, he says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So we see from Jesus, we're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, right? And then it says, and that love God has given us is revealed in how we love others. Loving others shows our love for Christ. Envy shows our love for self and our lack of love for others. When we love others, we do what's best. For them instead of what's best for us. Instead of wanting what they have, hoping we can be the best instead of so-and-so, instead of being frustrated and jealous of others, we are called to love them. Do what's best for others. But, but, Paul even goes further because he's led by the power of the Spirit, of course. And he says this in Philippians 2-3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, or I think the NIV says vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Is that mind-blowing to think we're supposed to look at other people and think of them better than ourselves? Is that what we get from our culture or even our church culture? We look to others to lift them up above ourselves because we love Christ. Our goal is to love God and work to make others more significant, more important than us. That should shake our worlds a little bit. Which leads to point number four. We love God by placing others above ourselves. We love God by placing others above ourselves. Envy says we love ourselves and place ourselves first at all costs. While faith says we lift up others and become nothing because we're trusting in Christ. Envy says the focus must be on self while faith says the focus must be on God and others. Envy says do what's best for self while faith says love others and do what's best for them. Envy says trust self, listen to self while faith says trust God and obey his word. How are we loving others? How well are we walking in faith this morning? Our love, our faith is seen in our relationships. How well do we lift up and love our spouse above ourselves this morning? What about our coworkers? Are there opportunities to build up others because we love Christ? What about friends and family? Are we placing them in a position of more prominence than ourselves? Well, antidote number two to envy is this. We find our satisfaction and fulfillment in the Lord. Antidote number two to envy is we find our satisfaction and fulfillment in the Lord. Let's look back at Psalm 37, 4. Psalm 37, 4. And says this, 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight means we find our joy, we find our peace, our purpose, and we find it in Christ. We are satisfied and fulfilled wholly by Christ alone. John Piper says it best. He says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we delight, when we find our fulfillment in the Lord, what does God do? Verse 4 says, right? He gives us the desires of our hearts. This does not mean if I go to church, he will give me a Rolls Royce. This does not mean if I read my Bible, he's going to give me wealth. Often people try to twist passages like this and say to people who are delighting in riches, who are trying to find satisfaction in their possessions, who are delighting living passionately for this world, just add Christ to your self-centered life right now and you'll be great. No. But I must say I've experienced a sad example of this when I went to Target. And a woman who worked there found out I was a pastor. And she said to me, Pastor, you have to come over here and see my my dream journal. And I'm like, dream journal? I told her I wasn't familiar with a dream journal. And with great enthusiasm and excitement, she said, it is where you write down all the desires of your heart so God can begin to bless you with them. And then she said her pastor had each person in the congregation start their own dream journal. Can you imagine this? I mean, a pastor leading their congregation to selfishness. The woman then opened up her journal and turned to the page where she sketched floor plans for her new mansion. It had six rooms. It had a jacuzzi. It had an amazing upstairs and a, and a pool. And it also, yes, of course, it had a fancy new, probably like Corvette, in the driveway that God was going to bless her with as well. And she said with confidence to me, in due time, Pastor, God will give me the desires of my heart. Well, I don't have time to tell you all the things that I told her. But I really did feel bad for her because I felt like she was being led astray by her leaders at a church. But part of her problem is that she was not delighting in the Lord. She was living for things of this world and using God to get the things that she wanted in her sinful flesh. That's called selfishness. That's called pride. That's the opposite of what we're called to do. We're called to die as Christians, not live for this world. What we covet reveals our heart. And envy is just another byproduct of living for self. Instead of delighting in Christ, we delight in this world. David says we must learn to delight, to be wholly satisfied and in Christ. And when our heart is in glorifying Him, worshiping Him, serving Him instead of ourselves, that's when God gives us the desires of our hearts. Which, guess what it is at that point? It's Christ. So He gives us more of Christ at that point. Well, antidote number three to envy is we dedicate ourselves to God's way. Antidote number three to envy is we dedicate ourselves to God's way. Psalms 37.5 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. The word here for commit 
here literally means to roll towards, to follow a path that is directed by God, to move in a path that is committing to honoring and glorifying God above all else that's going on in your life. So that means then, church, this idea of commitment then, we can think of in the realm of train or work at. This is what Paul told Timothy when he told young Timothy to train himself in godliness. We work, we wrestle, we strive, we toil, we grow in discipline to our commitment to Christ. That's what we're called to. And then when envy rears its ugly head, we feel drawn to compare ourselves to others or we begin to get jealous if we've been walking with Christ, if we've been disciplining ourselves in the Lord, if we've been led by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we can walk against our feelings. We can take that thought captive and submit it to Christ and continue to walk in our commitment to Christ. Do we see that? This looks like a marital couple who is committed to God. So that they tried to practice their God-given roles in Scripture. This looks like a single man who is dedicated to the Lord so he follows the Scriptures and walks in all purity towards women. This looks like the business owner who has opportunity to make a huge amount of money but bypasses a deal because it entails deception. Are we committed to the Lord this morning? David says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. Have faith in him. And then Psalm 37, 5 ends by saying, and he will act. He will act. God is working for his glory and our good. He won't forget about us, but do what is best for us always. We're his children. He loves us. Well, in conclusion... Our cure for envy is to trust, delight, and commit our ways to the Lord. This is what we're called to, believers, as believers. Are we trusting in the Lord? Are we delighting in the Lord? Are we passionate for Christ? Are we in his word? Are we committed to Christ even when life gets hard? We worship Christ. We turn to Christ for help. But our main purpose in following the Lord is to glorify him, not find relief from sinful struggles. So envy, jealousy, rage, fear, lust, addictions are all sins that we can find freedom from when we live for Christ. We turn from our sin and follow Christ. When Christ is our life, then the power of the Holy Spirit transforms our sinful hearts for his honor and his praise. May we love God and his word. May we love Christ with every fiber of our being because he is Savior. He is Lord. He is Redeemer. He's called to be our everything, church. This is our sole purpose in life, to trust, delight, and walk with the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We're humbled by so many things that are in your word. The sins that we so often struggle with, things like envy that is not even talked about, Father. 
we just sort of act like that's one of those respectable sins like Jerry Bridge talks about. Fear, worry, envy, jealousy, anger, they're sinful. It's rebellion against you, Father. Help us to be sensitive to the sin that's in our life. But at the same time, Father, help us to be so thankful for your grace that does cover us even in the midst of our struggles, our weakness, Father. We recognize that you are the one who's strong and we are weak. So we ask, Father, you empower us with your spirit. Help us to really love people the way we're called to, to lift them above ourselves. What a humbling thing. How many of us are really lifting people above ourselves, making them more significant than ourselves? Help us to wrap our minds around that and live truths like that out for your glory, Father. We love you and praise you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.